Recovery Elevator, episode 459. I knew that I wanted to quit. I just didn't know how I was going to do it or when I was going to do it, but I knew it was going to happen someday because I couldn't. It was unsustainable. I didn't want to continue to live my life like this. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. Listeners, on today's episode, we have Spencer. He's 44 years old from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and took his last drink on September 23rd, 2023. Great job, Spencer. I want to give a shout out to all of our Cafe Ari chat hosts. You guys do an incredible job. Thank you for your time. Registration for our intensive Dry January course, Restore, is now open. There's a link in the show notes for more information. Thank you, Robin. Speaking of Robin, she has been doing the show notes for the Recovery Elevator podcast for over a year now, and she was interviewed on episode 306. Robin is also on this sober journey with us. And did you know that Robin's favorite movie is The Goodfellas, and her favorite insect is a dragonfly? Interesting. Robin, thank you for the show notes and all you do for Recovery Elevator. Listeners, today is going to be a good day. In fact, it has already been a good day. Before we get any further, let's hear from a fantastic sponsor, Exact Nature. Exact Nature's safe and healthy CBD-based products are formulated to help you with the challenges of quitting drinking such as addictive cravings, depression, anxiety, and lack of sleep. If you're interested in learning more, Head on over to exactnature.com and use the promo code RE20 to receive a 20% discount on your order. That is RE20 at exactnature.com. Okay, let's get started. There are infinite ways to quit drinking, and here's a fun, easy strategy on how to get your day started right. The first thing I want you to do in the morning is pick up your smartphone and start scrolling or at least check your email. I'm kidding, that's one of the worst ways to start your day. All right, the first thing I want you to do in the morning before you even get out of bed is this. Turn on your side, prop yourself up, or in a seated position, and hold a smile for 30 seconds. We wish there was an easier, softer way. (laughs) Well, there is. Start your day with a smile. It doesn't matter if that smile is fake or real, You get the same benefits and a smile is a powerful thing as we're going to find out. Now, smiling increases mood-enhancing hormones. Smiling releases endorphins, natural painkillers, and serotonin, while decreasing stress-enhancing hormones, including cortisol and adrenaline. It also reduces overall blood pressure. When you smile first thing in the morning, your brain sends out signals to slow your breathing and reduce your heart rate. Two processes which actually speed up when you feel the stress of a new day. So smiling will counteract that. I spoke about the importance of smiling a couple years ago at a rehab facility. Someone asked the question, what if we don't feel like smiling and that's not being our authentic self? I pulled from an AA cliche to answer the question. That would be, fake it till you make it. The body doesn't know the difference between a real or a fake smile and the nervous system always responds positively with a smile, be it fake or real. Another reason to smile, especially when you don't feel like it, is that research shows that smiles are contagious. But we don't have to turn to a psychologist to confirm this, because I think we already know it. 
I feel it's a universal law that if you smile at someone, they reciprocate with their own smile, a hand wave, a head nod, the cowboy's hat grab, or something that is always positive. Smiling is a way to be of service because it makes other people's days better. Sometimes when I'm in a public space, think airports, I try to walk down the corridor with a smile on my face. Based on what I just covered, that's a win-win for everyone. It helps my biochemistry and it gives others permission to smile as well. Did I mention that smiling helps the immune system? Did I mention that smiling relieves pain? How can smiling help me quit drinking? Well, before we looked outside of ourselves for wholeness and joy in a bottle, now it's time to start turning within because everything we need to quit drinking, we already possess. Here are some quotes from the spiritual teacher Thich Nhat Hanh about smiling. He says, Sometimes your joy is the source of your smile, but sometimes your smile can be the source of your joy. Ah, he's good. He also says, If we are not able to smile, then the world will not have peace. It is not by going out for a demonstration against nuclear missiles that we can bring about peace. It is with our capacity of smiling, breathing, and being peace that we can make peace. So let me state this simple practice again. No matter how shitty you're feeling at the moment, or whatever day of sobriety you're on, or whatever day of sobriety you think you should be on, start with smiling. Start your day with a 30-second smile. And not for just one day or two, but rock that smile every morning for the rest of this year and hopefully beyond. And don't forget to keep that smile going throughout the day. It seems like now is a great time to throw in an Eckhart Tolle quote. Whatever you think the world is withholding from you, you are withholding from the world. When you smile with more frequency towards the world, it has no choice but to start smiling back. And listeners, if you need assistance with that smile, you are in luck because here are some dad jokes for you. How do you follow Will Smith in the snow? You follow the Fresh Prince. Dear Math, grow up and solve your own problems. I was wondering why the Frisbee kept getting bigger and bigger, but then it hit me. What did the janitor say when he jumped out of the closet? Supplies! Oh yeah, that's a good one. How does the moon cut his hair? Eclipse it. A skeleton walks into a bar and says, Hey, bartender, I'll have a soda water and a mop. <laughs> Last one, where do boats go when they get sick? To the boat dock. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this intro. Your smile is simply too wonderful to keep it hiding. And wow, what a powerful sobriety tool the smile is. In fact, before this episode finishes, here's your homework. I want you to smile to at least one person. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp, before we hear from Spencer. December is a season of gift giving. I'm curious, how many of you buy yourselves a gift? When I entered the arena of recovery, I was made aware that I needed to prioritize my well-being. And honestly, that stuck. I started putting myself first and I noticed how, as I felt better, that overflowed into my relationships. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. In the season of giving, give yourself what you need with BetterHelp. 
Visit BetterHelp.com slash Elevator today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Elevator. Spencer, how are you? I'm good, Paul. How are you? Yeah, Spencer, I'm doing great. It's good to have you on the Recovery Elevator podcast. I'm excited to learn more about you, your story, share with the audience. And a listener, Spencer, reminded me that we've met in person. When I first saw him on Zoom, I was like, I think I've seen this guy before. In November of 2019, we had a meetup in Minneapolis. That was my first time to the Mall of America. It was incredible, actually. We did a scavenger hunt. So, Spencer, it's good to see you again. Uh, let's do this. You ready? I'm ready, Paul. All right. Let's get right to it. When was your last drink? Yeah, so my last drink was September 23rd, I believe, 2023, this year. Heck yeah, my man. She got about three weeks and some change away from alcohol. How does that feel? Feels good, man. Feel really good. Right on, man. Okay, before we get into your journey, give listeners a little background about yourself, Spencer, where you're from, what do you do for a living, your age, do you have a family, and most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? I grew up in, in, Minneapolis, in the Minneapolis area in uh, a little town called Ham Lake. It's about 30, 30 minutes, probably 40 minutes out of Minneapolis. Grew up pretty much pretty normal childhood, man. I had, had uh, it was a, it's a really small town, so it was a kind of a small town kind of feel, kind of a country, out in the sticks kind of feel for a while there when I was younger. Uh, I'm 44. I do have a family, uh, two kids. My daughter is 17. My son is 12, married. And for fun lately, I've just been playing a lot of guitar. We also, you know, we got a boat. We had to go out on the on the river and whatnot on the, in the summer. We get the time, and uh, you know, I'm I'm a blue collar guy. I'm a, been an electrician for 23 years, union electrician in Minneapolis. Other than that, man, just uh, trying to do the whole sobriety thing now, and um, just glad to be here. Glad to be talking to you. Yeah. Uh, what what kind of music do you like to play on the guitar? Uh, I've been playing a lot of blues, a lot of like Freddie King, some some SRV licks, and. Uh, I don't know, Albert King, B.B. King, a lot of the Kings, <laughs> a lot yeah. of blues and rock, a lot of bluesy rock stuff. So. Cool. Cool. Good to hear. Well, Spencer, let's do this. I'm going to let you take it from where you want to start. Let's talk about your journey with alcohol, the addiction process, the healing process. I'm going to let you start where you want to start. Go for it. Yeah. Well, I think I think one thing I should start out with is that uh, drinking in my family is a culture. It always has been from since I was a kid, man. Uh, my mom, my dad, my aunts, my uncles, it's like everything is revolved around drinking. <laughs> and lately, I've just been thinking about that a lot, about how much of that, especially when I was younger growing up. I had a really, really good childhood. I don't have any, like, really awful traumatic events that I remember. My parents were um, just hardworking, blue-collar people, but they, they were alcoholics, my mom and my dad. So um, it was every function, man. It was Christmas and birthdays and and concerts and vacations and everything it was just alcohol like I said it was a culture so when I started drinking I was probably about 15 years old and it was in I think it was at a buddy's house just like a house party and one thing led another had I think it was Zima I don't even think it was beer it was just awful and I got really sick but of course that first time you get that feeling that warm feeling in your in your belly and and it kind of loosens you up it's easier to talk to girls and you don't feel so awkward and man this is this is cool I kind of like this see what all the adults are doing this for you know so moving right along, uh, I had a buddy in high school who had a, his dad, he, uh, he worked overnights, right? So it was, it set itself up perfect for all of us going over there all the time and drinking, right? Like that's where all the drinking started, the drinking, the drugs, everything. Basically nothing was off limits and, and, you know, 
fast forward junior and senior year, um, especially the two summers between uh, sophomore year and junior year, that whole summer, and then again between junior year and senior year, we were over there all the time. Every night, all all summer, you know, all, all weekend and and needless to say, by the time I graduated high school, I was I was pretty I was a pretty much an alcoholic, pretty much a raging alcoholic. But I didn't really think anything of it because everybody I knew pretty much drank like I did. And it's funny because I've been thinking about this a lot lately too. I haven't really, I didn't really think people don't drink like I do until I was probably in my late twenties is when things started changing. I'm thinking maybe maybe this isn't normal to drink every day to drink like this for everything for every event for every sporting event and whatnot you know spencer let me let me ask you about that in your late 20s you realized wait a second maybe not everybody drinks like i do what gave you that insight well after i got out of high school man it was chaos because like i said i was a raging alcoholic by the time i was 18 and uh, i got married really young by the time i was 23 i was married and it was a really chaotic marriage we were both drinking a lot and it's just there was it was chaos but i didn't i didn't really know that i didn't know how to deal with with uh with anything in my life other than drinking alcohol for the most part so moving right along by the time i'm you know i got divorced in my mid-20s and uh, i got a kid my my daughter out of it which was the best thing that came out of that marriage but another thing that happened is because of the alcohol the alcoholism and it was my fault to a large degree it was it was uh, there was a lot of just chaos and trauma. We were abusive towards each other. And um, I was kind of an asshole. I just, I was really selfish. Like I said, I didn't really think, you know, alcohol is the problem. I just thought that at the time I thought she was a problem, right? If I find somebody else or, 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 you know, if I just do this, if I get a better job. And it was always, it was always something. I never even dawned on me, like I said, until I was in my 20s, my late 20s. And the same pattern started happening again with another, with another woman I was with. I said, I'm thinking to myself, what the hell is going on here? This this can't be just. It's got to be me. It's not everybody else. It's me. You know, <laughs> there, what's what what is different about me? And the only thing that that made sense was the alcohol. I was I was drinking at one point, basically through my twenties. I was drinking five or six days a week until I passed out or I blacked out. So, and that's kind of how it went right up until I was, uh, I suppose, in in my thirties when I had my son. I I had a lot of issues with custody with my daughter, and I, ha- I had a lot of. Uh, resentment for my ex-wife and uh i blamed a lot of other people and and when i had my son with this gal that i was engaged to at the time that's when i really started thinking well maybe i gotta change because i don't want to go through this again i don't want i want to have a better relationship i didn't have a greatest relationship with my daughter i mean it's gotten better a little bit now but i wasn't there for through a lot of that stuff so that that made a big impression on me as far i think i was about 32 years old when my son was born so it was roughly 12 years ago, like 2011, I think it was. And that was the first time where I thought, man, I need to quit drinking. And that was when I kind of stopped, at least for, it stopped for a couple months, I think. That was the first time that I really thought I got to quit drinking. Well, Spencer, a question. In your, in your late 20s, you said not everybody drinks like me. Was that just a revelation or did you try to scale it back? Because it sounds like at 32, that's when you did try to quit drinking. What was it like from late 20s to 32? Were you just still drinking the normal amount or was this, there's like a voice on your shoulder saying, yo, Spence, we got to cut this back. No. Yeah, I think so. I mean, so after I got divorced, let me just back up one, one quick second. After I got divorced, I kept the house. So if I was at that point when I got divorced, that was when I was about 26 ish. I kept the house, but she moved out and I had two buddies move in. 
So at that time, it was hell, all hell broke loose. I was drinking seven days a week. I was losing jobs. Eventually, I um, things snowballed. It got out of control. I lost the house, filed bankruptcy, the whole nine yards. But at the time, I didn't really think about it. Alcohol is a problem until I met this other woman. And then she wasn't really drinking like I was. And, and that time between I was, I think it was probably like 29 to like 32. I don't know if I really quit or slowed down, but that's when the th- kind of the thought just popped in my head. Like, like, I don't know how, if this is the, you know, like a sustainable way to live drinking mm-hmm. like this. And then, and then when I had my son, t- shit got a lot realer. So I decided that, you know, I need to at least try to moderate, which, which worked for about, I don't know, maybe six months, if that, you know, and when I say moderate, I mean, I tried everything, you know, all the usual, I'm just going to drink beer. I'm not going to drink during the week. I'm not going to drink after, you know, till after five on the weekends, or I'm not going to drink hard alcohol or, you know, you name it. I tried it all. It didn't work. It worked for a little while, but it's unsustainable for guys like, like me that are alcoholics. So. Yeah. That's the common rhetoric on this podcast, Spencer. Now, now question, when you said alcohol is the problem, you finally realized that, I think this is one of the most dangerous parts of alcohol is the blinders it has on us, right? You know, I, I went and solved so many issues before the alcohol, before I realized, oh, oh shit, it's the alcohol. Now, like, what was that revelation? What did it feel like? Like, oh man, this is chaos in my life because of the alcohol, right? It sounds like you realize that. And then the moderation train came after that. But, you know, once you realized alcohol is the problem, like, what was that feeling like? God, I don't know. I was, it's weird because for so long, like I say, this culture that I lived in with, um, from, from my family to, to all my friends, to everything that I ever knew was always just alcohol was forefront of, of my life for everything. And when, when you have to look in the mirror and say, man, I don't know if I can do this anymore. It's, uh. Well, it scares the shit out of you, to be completely honest, because I was worried about all this. You know, I'm, ne- my, I'm never going to have fun anymore. What am I going to do if I get married again? I'm not going to drink at my wedding. And my, you know, what if I go to a baseball game or a football game? I won't be able to have a beer anymore, you know, or my daughter gets married someday. I won't be able to, you know, so all those, those kind of, that rhetoric is going through my head at the time. I know that was just, it was just anxiety for it. But yeah, I don't know. But after, after my son was born, there was some other issues that happened with um, his mother. So she, now this is probably when he's about five years old. So I'm probably about 36, 37 years old. And I got a phone call one day and she basically told me that she's a heroin addict. And so then, and so I was still drinking at this point. I'm 37 years old. I got, I, I moved, I got my own house again and, and things are going really good. And I get this bomb dropped on me one day. I'll never forget it. I was sitting in my living room at my house. She called me and then, and then everything just changed. Cause then I had, uh, then I was scared for my son. You know, I can't let him be around this woman who's a heroin addict. So I had to go through a whole deal of, of uh, getting custody of him. And, uh, you know, I was by myself. I wasn't, I was single. So it was, it was also the second time in my life. I said, I can't, his mother is a heroin addict. I can't be an alcoholic. <laughs> He's going to have no chance, you know? So then again, I, I, I was drinking at that point, but then I stopped again. Like I stopped a hundred percent. I remember that was for probably, probably a good six months. Again, I stopped because I knew I had to put the big boy pants on. I had to take care of my son. I was hundred percent. He was with me a hundred percent of the time. And that was until I was in my late thirties. And then, uh, she kind of got things cleaned up. I got custody of him and, and things kind of slowly slid back into having drinks now and again on the weekends and stuff and until uh i suppose i was i was about four years ago 
was, uh, I met my wife five years ago now. I met my wife and, uh, we got in one, we've, we've always got, she's an amazing woman, but there was one incident where I just knew that alcohol, this is not serving me anymore. I can't drink anymore. And after, after that, I quit for about two years. And now this is, I think this is like 2019 to 2021. I was basically alcohol free, didn't drink at all. And, um, it was, uh, it was a revelational for me because for so long, all the shitty things that happened in my life, all the bad things, um, all the stupid, stupid things I did, the shame, the, the things I'm embarrassed about, the way I treated people, you name it. All these negative things, almost to, a, to an incident, were all affected directly or indirectly by alcohol. Mm. Basically all of them. I, I, I've really sat down and thought of all the horrible things that I've done to other people or said or things that I regret. And I'm always drunk or, or stoned or high or whatever. And so that was, that was, that was another thing. I was like, man, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to quit doing this. And it worked for a while, but I got away from it because I didn't stay connected. I didn't continue to talk, um, to share Spencer, my story, to talk to other people. Yeah. Let me ask you that. You said it worked for a while, right? Mm-hmm. And it sounds like what worked for a while was just that recogni- recognition. That's an awareness that my goodness, every deeply shitty moment in my life has an underpinning to alcohol or it's directly connected. And again, alcohol is a blinder. We just can't see that or unconsciously we don't want to see that. And so he said it worked for a while. And was that after two years? I mean, these are great times logged away from alcohol. You had six months, then you had two years. Uh, and then you said you stopped being connected because this is after we met each other at the wonderful Mall of America, correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, so I, things are moving light around at that, uh, moving moving along pretty good at that point. And then, uh, well, it was actually one incident. A buddy of mine, he uh, he wanted to go snowboarding, so I'm like, all right, let's let's go snowboarding. And he was sober at the time too. While well, we get up there, and he had other plans. And so uh, one thing led to another, and before we know it, we're both pretty wasted. And this is after two years, and I'm like, God damn. And so I fell off the, you know, fell off the cliff, the sobriety cliff. And so now I'm like, well, what does it matter now? I can probably handle just having a few drinks here and there. And and that's kind of how it went, man. I I haven't, uh, I haven't had any of those, any of those rock bottom ones. Like I've had my several times in my past, particularly my twenties and thirties. But you know, this, this probably this last year, since the beginning of the year, I've really thought about quitting the, quitting the alcohol because I just, I don't, it's like intuition. I don't, I can't really say for sure what it is. Maybe it's just all the shit that I've gone through in the past and I don't want to walk through the, I don't want to walk that path again type of thing, you know? But, um, yeah, I decided that it's just, it's a lot easier to manage my life when I'm not drinking alcohol and being around people that drink a lot of alcohol is, uh, reinforcing when you're sober. (laughs) I can say that for sure. Yeah. Spencer, I mean, that's a value bomb right there. It sounds simple and basic but it's an oversight for most of us. My life is much more manageable without alcohol. Earlier you said it was all tied, all the crappy moments in life to alcohol. Yeah, it's way more manageable. It's just hard to see that when we're in it. Now, going back to something you said earlier, you said the culture in your family is drinking. I, I uh, That's very common. And I saw a meme online the other day was like, yo, I'm trying to get sober in a drunk world, <laughs> right? I mean, that's. I, right. I think this is changing very slowly. I, I think people are waking up that alcohol, it, it, there are no health benefits. And that's a fact these days. Um, actually, always has been, right? It's just been a little convoluted. Mm-hmm. So I think people are waking up and less people are drinking, but we are still in a heavily intoxicated culture. And it can be a challenge when we're going upstream, it seems. 
Um, so, so, so just keep going with that, Spencer. And then one, one question after two years sober here, you're snowboarding, you're on a mountain, you're drunk. Did you find out that you picked up right where you left off or did you have to kind of build back up after that? Oh, no, no, it was, we went out and I probably got, I don't think I got like a 12 pack in it and we killed 12 beers, you know, no problem. And uh, I was right back at it. Like it never stopped. I was uh, kind of surprised. I thought, I don't know if I, if tolerance mattered even. I just, I was like, now I got another beer. I'm just going to drink it. You know, I'm, I'm on the mountain. Let's, let's get after it type of thing. So. And then for the next couple of years after that, uh, you said there were no kind of rock bottom moments, but it's more of the realization. Look, life is easier without alcohol. I mean, it's the path of least resistance. As an interviewee, I think from Minneapolis said probably 40 or 50 episodes ago named Phil. Um, yeah. What, what was that like the last couple of years? Just drinking? You know, were you stacking days? Did you have some sobriety time? What did that look like? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I uh, I mean, after that after that snowboarding trip, I think I, I probably got after it every weekend for, let's say, six months, something like that. So that was maybe a couple of years ago. And then things slowed down. I was probably, I wasn't drinking, every, you know, obviously every night. Once in a while, I'd have a few beers, but the thing with, with me, and I, I think this holds true for a lot of alcoholics, is I could never come home and just have one or two beers. Like, if, if I was going to come home and watch a football game, I'd sit out in my garage and be like, oh, I'm just going to have a couple beers. Well, there I am, 10 o'clock, you know, 10 beers deep, stumbling into the house, just feeling like trash, not spending any time with my family. And I'm like, what am I doing, man? This is this is not good, you know? And that's, So that's kind of how it went. You know, there'd be a, maybe a odd night during the week once in a while, usually every weekend I would, you know, put a few back at least on a Friday or a Saturday or maybe both Friday and Saturday, sometimes on Sundays if we're watching football or, or there's a sporting event, some stupid reason to get wasted. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of how it went, but it was always in the back of my head that this is, that I knew, I knew that I wanted to quit. I just didn't know how I was going to do it or when I was going to do it, but I knew it was going to happen someday because I couldn't, it was unsustainable. I didn't want to continue to live my life like this. That was something that I knew for sure kind of, even before I started drinking again after the snowboarding trip, you know, I kind of knew. Yeah, Spencer, my off switch is permanently faulty. I had to realize that a couple hundred times uh, while drinking. Now, do you have a narrative in your head that's like, hey, Spencer, it's just going to be one or two? And do you still believe that? No. I mean, it's it's hard some days. And I, I know it's going to be hard. I mean, it's going to be hard moving forward, too. I mean, it's not something that uh, that I think about consciously all the time now, whereas at least the first time I really got sober for any length of time, it was hard every day for, for months. But now it's only been three weeks now, but I'm not, I feel like I'm in a better place in my life. I kind of know how it's going to go. I know what I have to do to stay sober. I have to stay connected. I do, I do a lot of AA meetings and stuff online. And then obviously your podcast and stuff. And a lot of those things for me help just hearing other people's story and uh, trying to stay connected with other people that have, you know, are in the similar situations. And obviously I have to cut out some people out of my life that, uh, you know, they're truly just engaged in drinking all the time. And unfortunately I just, it doesn't do it for me anymore. I want more, you know? Okay. Yeah. I, I want more in life. Alcohol's not providing it. You know, we've, we've kind of gone the distance with this. We've seen the return. As you said earlier, all your shitty moments are tied to that. Now, three weeks right. ago, uh, did, did something happen? Was it like a, a mini rock bottom moment? Well, how, how, what propelled you forward on these three weeks? Well, I was at a football game. A buddy of mine asked me to go to a football game, a college Minnesota Gopher football game. Beautiful day out, free tickets. I'm like, yeah, sure, 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 I'll go. I'll drive. And I didn't really think about it. He's he's still in it, you know. 
So I pick him up and he was pretty, pretty tooted up from the night before. And I didn't, whatever, I didn't care, whatever, let's go have fun. And then uh, we get there and it was him drinking a lot of beers and one thing led to another and nothing happened. We had a good time and everything, but it's a hell of a thing when you see people drinking like that and you're sober, how foolish people really act, you know? And uh, not that he did anything embarrassing, but it was, it was a look in the mirror for me, especially on a, on a Saturday afternoon at 11 in the morning when you're wasted. And I've been there so many times. And uh, I went to go get a soda, right? I was going to get a beer because I, I, I told him I was going to go get some drinks. And I, and I think I got, uh, I got, I got two beers because I couldn't find a soda. So I'm like, what the hell? I'm just going to have a beer. I brought it back and, and I set it down. It's like, screw it, man. I don't even want it. You can have them both. And that was kind of when I said, I'm just, I'm done with this. You know, that, I don't know if that wasn't my last, my last beer. I didn't have a beer that day, but uh, that's when I decided I'm not going to drink anymore. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Okay. Spencer, uh, I, I'm incredibly thankful for alcohol, right? I am. I think alcohol has one of the, been one of the most best teachers in my life. And earlier in the interview, you'd said something that I want to loop back on. It said that I was the problem. Now, everybody, you know, all 8 billion humans on the planet, I think by design to be a human, you're supposed to reach this, this, this moment, but alcohol speeds it up for us. And in order for us to quit drinking, we must have that realization like, oh shit, I'm the problem. I definitely got there, but I got there in my early thirties where I think some people that don't grapple with addiction, you know, they get there later in life. It's just, everything is the finger pointing outward. Now that you're the problem, and that's not a bad thing because you're not the victim. If you're the problem, you can fix that. Uh, I lived a decade and a half. Everything outside of me was the problem. I remember once I said, all right, I'm connecting the dots here. Everywhere I go, I'm the problem. Uh, you know, I'm leaving the victim mentality. I I'm taking responsibility, which I think is the holy grail in life. You know, how, all right, number one, you track with that, but how is mm -hmm. recognizing that, like, you're the problem? How has that affected your life? Um, you just kind of, you know, self-awareness, I guess, just knowing for me personally, I, I don't like, I don't try to put myself in situations where I know there's going to be a lot of people drinking. I mean, even before I had my last drink, I was real conscious about that. I mean, you, you know, if you go somewhere, which, which one of your friends are going to be drinking, right? I mean, you know who your friends are that like to party and the ones who maybe don't party as much, you know, like I had a, uh, a friend of mine got, died in a, in a motorcycle accident a couple of weeks ago. It wasn't related to alcohol, but he, we, I went to the to the funeral and stuff this last weekend and it was good you know it was good to see him the, the camaraderie and the fellowship and the stories about him and stuff with your friends that that knew him when he was alive he was all he was a high school friend so we all knew him for years but of course after after the funeral everybody goes to the bar right so so i you know i know i knew there's 50 people there and i knew most of them so i went along and just had something to eat but you know by i think i left at eight o'clock and there were people literally falling down drunk. And if you do put yourself in that situation, you just got to say, hey, man, I, I, you got to know an exit. You know what I mean? So especially if you're new in sobriety, because at that point, um, you can get triggered real easy, really quickly. You know, I yeah. know I've been there with that. too. So did you depart at 8 o'clock? Is that what you said? Yeah, it was, I think it was about 8.30. I left. I went to a couple different places with a few, few friends of mine and then just had some to eat. And then when it started getting pretty sloppy, then I kind of made my exit. But it was yeah. good. I'm glad I went. And it's uh, it was good to, to see a bunch of people that I haven't seen for a while. But, um, you know, it's, I don't know. I don't really want to call that my tribe anymore, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I track with that. I think earlier you said some people, you need to stop hanging out with them or whatnot. And, you know, you get clear on the vision of your future. If people aren't in line with that, that's they, they, they kind of got to go. I, I totally track with that. Now, in these last three weeks, Spencer, how has 
maybe have you noticed any changes physically or mental health or do you struggle with anxiety or depression and how is that related with alcohol? Yeah, I mean, I have had a ton of anxiety in my life and uh, I've noticed um, anxiety and depression and alcohol seem to kind of go hand in hand, at least for me, because when I was drinking, man, I, like I'd go to sleep, blackout or pass out or whatever, and you might sleep for seven or eight hours, but you don't get very good sleep. I'd still wake up feeling like crap. And when I get up and feeling like crap, then that then the anxiety starts. And then uh, oftentimes it'll lead to having another drink. And then it's just it's just this nasty cycle. So I think, yeah, I think alcoholism and, and depression, it, it kind of goes hand in hand. I haven't since I've quit. I mean, the first time I quit, I probably lost about 10 pounds in the first two months, 10 or 15 pounds just from quitting alcohol. I didn't switch my diet or anything, but I think it's kind of. It's a snowball effect too, because like you got to fill your time when you're not drinking, you got to fill your time with other things. I mean, you're not going to stop drinking unless you have a plan to do other things because all your drink, I spent the last time drinking, you know? So I started doing other things like, uh, play the guitar a lot more, working out, hanging out with the kids, watching movies, you know, going on bike rides. We live right next to a big park area. So we go do a, do a lot of that going up North, going on the boat, going swim, making plans to go out and do things more than just, uh, kind of shooting from the hip and staying home drinking, you know, cause that used to be, that used to be the norm for me anyways. So I think, yeah. I think my life has gotten a hell of a lot better as far as that goes. Yeah. I've heard it stated once that not drinking is not an activity, right? Like, Hey, what are you doing Friday night? Well, I'm just, you know, I'm just gonna stay in and not drink, right? You have to fill that with, yeah. with excitement, things that nourish your soul and community is a great way to do it. Guitar, whatnot. Um, I got a couple more questions before we hit the rapid fire around Spencer. One of them is, yeah, how is your relationship with your children? Are they are they aware of your struggles with alcohol? Have you burned the ships with them, whatnot? Um, where are you, where are we at there? Yeah, that's a super good question. My my son is twelve, so he hasn't seen me like really in the depths of it. I mean, I've certainly had nights since he's been around. He can tell, but I've also had conversations with him directly about just alcoholism and how addiction works and how people in our family are and how how it can really snowball fast. And I don't try to get too deep in the weeds because he's only 12, but at least want to plant the seed that, you know, that this is a real thing. It's a, it's a real thing in our family and that um, I've had issues with it. So yeah, I've definitely talked to him about it. My daughter, she's a little bit older and she was only, she's 17 now. So, you know, you know what 17 year olds are. They just, she's gone all the time, but um, she seems like she gets it. She knows that my, our family is, is very, um, got that addictive, you know, I don't know if there's an addictive gene, but I say that in jest, I guess, but there's a lot of alcoholism in our family and, and, and her mom's side of the family as well. And I think, um, she, she, as far as I know, she hasn't drank now again, she's 17 and I, and I feel like I have a pretty good relationship with her now and she could tell me, but, um, yeah, I mean, to, to answer your question, I talked to him, to both my kids about it and, um, you know, trying, trying just to be a good example, a good role model is really the best way to do it, you know? Yeah, and you have the opportunity to almost break the cycle of addiction in your family, or at least show them the framework or a blueprint of what that can look like. And uh, maybe it's not always a success, but you can show them you're human and you're trying and you can get back up the next day. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, great job, Spencer. You know, Spencer, in, uh, in, in your profession, I think you said you're an electrician. I Correct. know those trades and alcohol go hand in hand. Have you had any pushback mm -hmm. from perhaps coworkers or... Uh, do you let your workers know, like, look, I'm sober. That's how it goes. Yeah. It's, uh, it's funny you said that, man. Cause like the first couple of weeks when I was an apprentice, like the union is kind of a, it's a brotherhood, you know, of, of, so it's a, 
there's only 3,000 guys in our local that we work with. So <laughs> there was this guy who came up to me, like, literally, I'm 20, 21 years old, the second or third day I'm on a job. He says, well, let me tell you something. If you're not a if you're not divorced or an alcoholic by the time you're 25, you're not a real electrician, you know? <laughs> and, and I'm like, well, all right. You know, but, um, yeah, that's a, it, it is, man. It's a culture. It's not, it's, uh, the, the blue collar culture, you know, you go to work for eight hours, you work your, your butt off and then you go home and you have a few beers, you know? So, but yeah, no, I've told guys I work with that I don't, that, uh, that I don't drink anymore. And I think, honestly, I think, like you said, I think the culture is changing a little bit. Cause a lot of people kind of look on it like, Hey, that's pretty cool. You know, because that's not, a lot of people are just, they don't want to say it because there's a stigma. Well, the people are going to look down on me because I don't want to go out and have a few beers with the guys or whatever after work. And, but no, I don't, I don't, I don't really worry about that. I think, I think, uh, I think all that stuff kind of takes care of itself. If somebody asks me if I'm, if I'm sober, if I want to drink, I'll certainly tell them, no, I don't drink or, and it's funny because the more people that you tell, you tell 10 people that you don't drink, there's going to be two or three people that are like, you know, I've been thinking about doing that too, because I've had several people say that to me. So I don't know if it rubs off, or maybe that once you just open the lines of communication, it's easier for them to talk about it. But pretty cool, Spencer. I've seen the same when a human being is vulnerable. Hey, I don't drink. I'm good. It almost gives that person an invitation to also be vulnerable. And me just saying, no, I'm good. I don't drink. Those conversations that have emerged from that have been uh, soul nourishing on my end. Let's let's put it that way. Spencer, you mentioned this a bit earlier about what you're going to do in the future, but let's get clear on this again. You've got around three weeks away from alcohol at the time of this recording. How are you going to get three weeks in a day, week four, week five? What is the plan? Well, I listen to, po- there's a couple podcasts I listen to. Of course, uh, RE's a big one. There's a couple other ones that I listen to every day. I've been doing- uh, what, what are those podcasts? Uh, that Sober Guy. Yeah, Shane Raymond. Uh, one of the big ones. And mm-hmm. then uh, I forget the other one I just started listening to. It's basically, it's, it's set up similar. It's just somebody go listening to people talk about their story, about their life, about their alcoholism or addiction. There's so many of them now. And, uh, for me, that's really helped because, uh, I don't know what it is. It's just, it it makes me feel connected to other people. Like I'm not the only, only one out there doing this, you know, seems like it makes it a little bit easier. That's just me. But, and then, yeah, I've been doing some online AA meetings and, uh, just listen. I haven't really done a whole lot of talking, but I know that, um, I want to, at some point, I'm going to have to get in more connected, starting to work the steps and just uh, sticking with it because it's so easy. It's fleeting. Like this whole sobriety thing, it's very fleeting. If you don't, you got to put in the work. It's hard because it's worth it, you know? Yeah, there's a thousand and one metaphors, cliches, but the ism, the incredible short memory is, is prominent in this, right? People forget how bad it was, which I think is another right. reason why the newcomer is the most important person in the room. And I totally agree. I don't want to forget the pain points, but the further away I get from that last drink, there have been, was it that bad? Yes, Paul, it was horrible. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Yes, right. Well, Spencer, we have hit the rapid fire round. Answer questions in 10 to 15 seconds. That would be great. Are you ready? Yes, sir. All right, Spencer, what's the one thing you've learned about yourself since quitting drinking? You can have a lot of fun without booze. There's lots of things you can do in your life that you don't need booze for. What's your best sober moment? Um, it's nice to be home with the kids and they look at you and go, hey, dad, nice to have you home and see you're not drinking. You're not drinking any beer. I had that moment yeah. a couple times, so that was pretty cool. And what's your favorite alcohol-free drink? Um, coffee and seltzer water. Any seltzer water. Yeah. Point of life. Ready, go. Happiness, man. You only get so many turns around the sun, so do what makes you happy. 
Yeah, favorite 90s band. 90s band. Is Guns N' Roses a 90s band? Yeah, 80s, 90s. Uh-huh, for sure. Right on. That'll work. <laughs> yeah, what has sobriety made possible for you? I feel like it's a lot more connection with, uh, especially with my immediate family, like my wife, my kids. And it's made um, other things a lot easier too, like finance, finances, dealing with the problems at work, getting up in the morning, not being hungover, feel healthier, been working out more, um, just feeling a lot better physically. How do you decline a drink? I don't want to drink. No, thank you. Yeah. And Spencer, what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are thinking about quitting drinking? Just uh, if you think you have an alcohol problem, you probably do. And uh, I mean, we only get so many tur- turns around the sun, right? We only get so many shots at life. If you think you got an alcohol problem, go go uh, find somebody to talk to. Find a podcast to listen to. Find somebody that's sober. See how they did it. Because, uh, I mean, we all know that you know, it, it, can go, it can go south really quick. And Spencer, before we depart, give listeners your own customized, you might need to ditch the booze if line. Yeah, I was thinking about this. Um, I guess you might need to ditch the booze if you look back on your life and pretty much every negative thing that's happened has been directly or indirectly linked to alcohol. It's probably time to let it go. Yeah, I track with that for sure. Spencer, it's good to see you again. Keep in touch. Let's keep this three-week run going. Let's build off that. I appreciate your time, and thank you for sharing your story with the Recovery Elevator audience. All right, brother. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, you too. I have a great You Might Need to Ditch the Booze If line, and this one comes from Jody. You might need to ditch the booze if, while following your daughter to Arkansas to help her move back into college, and while her car breaks down in front of you on the road... You hope that the state troopers don't stop to help you until you've had a chance to collect and hide all your mini vodka bottles in your car. Yeah, that one definitely checks out, Jody. Thank you for listening, and thank you for the submission. Recovery Elevator, let's remember Rule 22. Keep those smiles going. Lighten up. I love you guys.